Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Church. I'm so glad that you decided to join us this morning. And as we get started, I just want to say that outside those back doors in the foyer, if you don't have a Bible, please take one. They're free. You can keep it. We'd love for you to take one if you don't have a Bible of your own. I'm so glad to be with you here this morning on this hot day in air conditioning. How many are thankful for air conditioning? Amen, right? So as we get started, I wanna, there's some questions that I want to ask you. Um, and the first one is, is that what does it mean to become the goat? All right, does anybody know what it means to become the goat? Does it literally mean that you become an animal that walks on all fours and grazes? Yes? No? No? Okay. All right. So, so I'm going to ask you some things today about becoming the goat. What it actually means is the greatest of all time. So I'm going to ask you to call out what you think is the greatest of all time in each of these pictures, okay? Are you ready for it? So this is audience participation here, okay? So you ready? All right. First one. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, or Kobe Bryant? Ooh, I think there's some disagreement on that one. <laughs> so NBA, greatest of all time. I'm not going to say what mine is, but I hear some disagreement. Um, NBA. Okay, now NFL. Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, or Tom Brady? Sorry, I wasn't going to put Ben Roethlisberger up there. <laughs> um, okay. Now, the next one, for those of you that are not sports fans, I put one in here um, for you. And this is the greatest of all time, Spider-Man. All right. Okay. So is it Andrew Garfield? Is it Tom Holland? Or is it Tobey Maguire? Woo! All right, some conflict on that one, maybe. I don't know. A lot of Tobys out there. All right, so, so maybe not so much of a Spider-Man person, but how about Disney princesses? All right, Disney princesses. So don't ask me to match the names with the person. <laughs> But I'm going to say their names, I think. Snow White, Cinderella, Aurora, Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Tiana, Mulan, Merida, Pocahontas, Rapunzel, Moana, and Elsa. I think I may have got them all, maybe. I don't know. Favorite one, anybody? Oh, a lot of bells out there. Okay. So... So whether it's animated characters, celebrities, or actors that we might know, um, we always think of what's who is the greatest of all time. But as we strive to be like Jesus, there are others that have gone before us as examples of service in the kingdom of God. One for me was my children's church teacher. Her name was Marilyn. 
Marilyn loved children, and she was always willing to serve in any way to help out. I remember her teaching me not to take the Lord's name in vain. And I'm telling you what, I never did since. And it wasn't because she was mean about it. She just, she, she just loved on people, and she was genuine. And, you know, she did this not to be known by others. She served because she loved Jesus. And when I grew up, I went into my teenage years and adulthood, and she supported me when I would make missions trips and any service that I had to the Lord, she would be supporting me. You know, and she did not do for others to see or seek her own glory, but serving was just her heart. And she is certainly one of the greatest in my life. We should all be serving, striving to serve others out of a love for Jesus. And as we dive into the scriptures, let's see what Jesus has to say about what it takes to be the greatest. You can go ahead and turn into Mark 10, beginning in verse 32. I'm going to read through verse 35. It'll also be up on the screen. It says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So let me ask you all a question here. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you're pouring out your heart? I mean, you're just, you're just laying it all out there. Uh, maybe you're being vulnerable for the first time. Maybe you're just, just putting things out there and, and, you, and, and maybe you really didn't want to be vulnerable, but you're just letting it out there and you're sharing with someone. And as you're sharing with that person, right, the person responds with, have you had ice cream at the freeze? <laughs> Sometimes it can become obvious by someone's body language that they're really not listening to you. But when they confirm it, it really hurts. So here Jesus is. He's telling his disciples here that he's going to suffer and die a terrible death. And they're not even listening to him. And then they have the gall to ask him their question. Before, they, they want an, a yes to this question before they even tell him what it is. Look at verse 35 there. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. So then they have, they're, they're, okay, I, they're not going to tell Jesus the question yet. They just want him to say yes. Okay? So they're not listening, and they want him to say yes before he, they even tell him what the question is. Essentially, that is pride. It blinds us and causes us to filter what others say unless it's related to something that we want. But despite the audacity of James and John here, Jesus responds to them in a kind and patient 
way. Verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, this is a lofty and bold request. Understand here that maybe it could have been a good thing if their motivation was to be close to Jesus because of their love for him. But their motivation was for glory. They wanted to be close to glory, not close to Jesus. Realize here that it was not, this was not the first time that this had happened. Three weeks earlier, all the disciples in Mark 9, 33 to 35, they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus addressed it then. And again, after this, it's going to happen again. In Luke 22, 24, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's arrested, again, they're arguing about who is the greatest. So three times. This is the second time that this happens. And what I find interesting here, this is Mark 10, and it's a par- the parallel passage to Mark 10 is Matthew 20. Now, if you look at Matthew 20, there's an extra piece in there where James and John's mother is going and appealing to Jesus for them to be the greatest in the kingdom. Right? So they're pulling all the stops out here, right? They're bringing in mom. Mom's trying to say, hey, I want my boys to be greatest in the kingdom. So they're having mom to to go to bat for them. But what does it mean to be the greatest? The greatest sacrifice for others. Verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? So just before Jesus is rudely interrupted with the rude question that made it obvious that the disciples were not listening, He was talking about how he would suffer and die. Jesus is referring to the cup of suffering. Now, when we think about baptism in our minds, oftentimes they immediately go to this tub that's down in front, and we picture a person going dunking down and being brought back up. That would be an accurate picture because the word baptism means to immerse. But in this case, what Jesus is saying here is that James and John, are they ready to be immersed or submerged in suffering? Because that's what he's asking here. Are they willing to be whipped and beaten even to the point of death? I don't think they got it. Well, let's see what they say. In verse 39, We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. James was the first disciple to be killed. John was imprisoned and beaten multiple times, and he eventually died in exile on a prison island. They didn't know what they were talking about, but Jesus knew they eventually would and that they would sacrifice much out of their love for Jesus and for others. But, you know, the next thing that Jesus says here is interesting. Verse 40. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant, 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So this sounds like possibly a no to me. It could end up being them, but really, Jesus really defers here. But what Jesus is clearly saying, instead of being focused on being the greatest, they should be focused on the greatest serve others. The greatest serve others. Verse 41 says, When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Indignant means they were just a little bit angry. They were put out, feeling like they've been betrayed by two of their friends that they've been working beside for the past three years. They were indignant because they wanted to be close to glory too. This was a problem. So Jesus called them together in verse 42. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles... They lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, those that in authority would abuse their authority and would view themselves as better than all those that run underneath them. Verse 43. Not so with you, Jesus tells them. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, one of our core values here is save people, serve people. If anyone deserves to be served, it was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? But he says the opposite. You see, Jesus' flowchart is upside down to us. The servants are on the tops and the one being served are on the bottom. But the reality is that his flowchart is the right one. Our perspective of life is what is upside down. What if instead of trying to climb over one another to get to the top, we had folks ready and willing to serve others? Service comes in a number of forms. We can ju just do something small by mowing our neighbor's lawn or by trimming their bushes. We could ask them over to dinner and serve them in our house. We could find out, get them connected with resources in the community, make sure they're having their basic needs met. There's all sorts of ways that we can be serving. And next week, we'll have the opportunity to serve others in our community. It is Be the Church Sunday. My hope is that this kind of service will catch on and be a part of our lives. I don't mean by starting a bunch of programs. I mean each of us deciding to serve those within our area of influence and be looking outside of that area to see how can I serve and love on others in some way. I must say already that I think that our church does a pretty good job of serving in the community but we can always do better. Jesus saved us for a reason, and that is to serve others and share the love of Jesus with them. That is the start of making more and better disciples. This begins with humility. 
we should not be trying to be the best for our own glory or trying to prove to everyone else how great we are. You see, because humility is just a part of service. It's not just a part of service. It's at the heart of service. So if God is prompting you in some way to help someone, never act like you are above doing a thing that God wants you to do. As we continue to love others, God continues to cause us to grow as a church. So I want to tell you about some really exciting news today. But before I do, I, re- I need to t- I tell you something about myself. Something about myself when I get excited. All right? And maybe some of you have noticed and maybe you didn't want to say anything. I don't know. But when I get excited, you will see these eyebrows going up and down like crazy. <laughs> and they're not thin eyebrows. They're very thick. So I'm sure that you maybe have noticed them. I don't know. But when I get excited, they're moving up and down and all over the place. All right? So I have some, I have some several other quirks that I do as well. I, I've, I've learned to try and hide them because my family made fun of me when I was growing up. Um, but there's certain other things I do, all right? And it sort of goes like this a little bit. So I get really, really excited about something, and I'll, I'll start pacing. I'll start pacing back and forth, and I'll start doing this. Sometimes the arms are going around, you know, that sort of thing. And <clears throat> so you'll, I don't know if you've ever seen me do it, but it's, I try and hide it. But <clears throat> I'll give you an example. Oftentimes, I'll be preparing for a sermon or for a counseling session or just, or just like reveling in God and who he is. And <clears throat> so actually, that was happening last week. And I'm in my office, and I'm going back and forth and, and back and forth. And then I hear Adam coming down the hall. And then I'm like, oh, hi, Adam. So I'll even try and hide it from Adam. Um, but you know what? I just, it's sometimes I'm just so excited that I just, I can't contain myself. And I, I will say, <clears throat> um, I feel like this more and more here at Bridgewater. Like I just can't contain the excitement of what God is doing. So if you see that a little bit more out of me, just know. All right, it's okay, because um, I just I, I can't con- I can't contain it. <clears throat> because you know what? There's absolutely nothing better in life than watching Jesus change lives. There's nothing better. I I I've worked in 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 secular counseling for a very long time, and I've seen I've seen people make changes, and it's been great. But nothing, and I'm telling you, nothing compares to the change that Jesus Christ makes in somebody's life. Absolutely nothing. And I would love to see all of Tunkhannock and the surrounding area reached for Jesus. So that they may know the love and hope that Jesus gives freely. All right, I got to take a deep breath now. Okay. I never told anybody that, by the way. That whole stuff I do. Um, anyways, so the Tunkhannock, Adam didn't even know. Um, the Tunkhannock campus of Bridgewater 
we've experienced continued growth over the past six years since Montrose launched our campus in April of 2016. We have seen, ready, 115 salvations. Woo! <clears throat> and 65 baptisms right here in Tunkhannock. <clears throat> and, you know, we've, we've consistently grown. And then this thing called COVID came along. Um, you remember? <laughs> yeah. um, and then we didn't meet for three months in 2020. And then we had a, <clears throat> a slow return, and the, then the growth continued. God continued to do his work. And then last year, Pastor Rich left. And I think, I'm so thankful for Pastor Rich. I mean, him and Stephanie, it was, it, I mean, I, I, I love them, and I got to know them, and it was awesome having them here. And they started things here in Tunkhannock. And But, you know, not only that, but they set us up for continued growth. Because we had a great leadership team. And we had great support from Bridgewater as a whole. And they sent us Adam and Doc Bixby. And we just, we, we, we didn't skip a beat. We just kept going. Because we all, we, the right mindset is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? You know, I, I've heard so many times that that doesn't usually happen when a pastor leaves the church. So I am so excited to see what God has been doing here and what he continues to do. Um, presently, we have an average of attendance of more than 260 in 2022. Uh, and usually we experience significant drops in the summertime. But despite many people being away on vacation, our growth continues. Now, in the history of Bridgewater as a whole, remember, we are one church with many locations. There have been a number of next steps that a campus has made in order to continue to grow. And first is starting a second service. We have done that. Next is usually starting a third service or launching a new campus. Because the goal is to multiply. Jesus said to go and make disciples, and that means we're to be open to new opportunities, to new areas, to have a Bridgewater campus so that we can make more and better disciples all over Northeast Pennsylvania and the southern tier of New York. God has blessed us so much, but we're not yet at the point where we're able to launch a new campus. So with that in mind, there are two things I'm going to share with you today. The first is that the Bridgewater overseers are recommending to the church the authorization of borrowing up to $850,000 to purchase and renovate a proposed new building in Duncanic. <laughs> we will be voting on this opportunity in the next two weeks, so all of the members of Bridgewater, including the other campuses, on August 7th will be voting to approve the pursuit of a new building. Ultimately, my prayer is that God will provide the funds necessary as part of our fall vision this fall so that 
maybe we won't need to go into debt. But either way, God is moving, and we want to continue to respond and not get in the way of what he is doing here at Bridgewater. The second item I want to share with you today is in order to sustain the growth that we've been having while we're looking to purchase and renovate a new building, that we will be moving to three services beginning Sunday, September 11th. So beginning Sunday, September 11th, our services will be 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, to put things in perspective, before 2011, Bridgewater had only one campus. The Halstead campus was launched at that time. Now look where we are. God is continuing to work and we are seeing people come to know Jesus and people making their next steps and following after him. And it's awesome. I, I just love to watch it. There, uh, there will be some handouts on the back that you'll have the opportunity to take when you leave with more explanation um, about the building. Now, with all this in mind, please remember that next week is Be the Church Sunday. We will not have a worship service but instead we'll be going out into the community to serve. I have one more question to ask you. What makes Bridgewater a great church? It's not the preaching or the music, although I think both are great, and it's certainly not the building. That's for sure. If the greatest people are those who sacrifice and serve, the greatest churches are full of people who sacrifice and serve. Normally, for Be the Church Sunday, we have about a 60 to 80% response of our regular attendance. I think we want to push. Let's see if we can get everybody out. I don't think that it's because a quarter to a third don't want to serve. I think it's because it's different. I think it's because maybe some are afraid and there's not, that there's nothing you can do or that you might look silly. We have projects for people who can't move around well. We have all sorts of other projects. You can stay right here and write notes um, or letters. Uh, you can put address stickers on mailing invitations to our open house in the fall. So I encourage you to sign up for a project. We have two new ones that were not here last week that you can go to the Welcome Center and check out. But as I said before, when Amanda and I started attending Bridgewater three years ago, we said, God is doing something here. We do not want to get in the way of what God is doing. And we still say that today. So we can choose to do one of two things when it comes to change. We can resist it and we can hinder God's work or we can embrace it and watch God continue to do amazing things. And you know, I get it. I understand with change comes possibly some apprehension. But if God has helped us with all the growth until now, he will continue to help us. So I want to end with this encouragement by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, verses 1 to 6. He says, 
I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just completely humbled by all the work that you do. I ask God that you would continue to do your work, that you would use us to accomplish, grow in your kingdom, because it's all about you. This is not my church, it's not Adam's church, it's not Tunkanic's church, this is your church, and I pray, God, that we would be submitting to you each and every day, and that we give our lives over to you each and every day and allow you to work and be open to serve in whatever way you would have us to serve, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings. You are so good to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.